Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Those are the voices of over 8,000 protesters in Ottawa, rallying against racism, despite the fear of COVID-19 still plaguing the globe. Thousands of protesters across Canada, the United States, and the world came together to protest continuing police brutality and anti-black racism. So how do you protect thousands of demonstrators marching together during a pandemic? Hi. I'm Jordan Johnson Hines from the TV show Nurses. This is Notes from the Frontline, a podcast telling personal stories from the heart of the pandemic. Today on the podcast, we speak to the organizers from No Peace Until Justice, Samiha Ahmed, Safia Mosai, and Jamie Gosain. They share the many precautions they took to keep people safe during their June 5th march in Ottawa and why it's so important to take a stand against racism, even in the face of a worldwide pandemic. So I'm Smiha Ahmed, a graduate from Carleton from Human Rights and Sociology, and I'm the founder of No Peace Until Justice. Yeah, we did the protest on June 5th from Parliament to the Human Rights Monument in Ottawa. This got started in my bedroom at 3 a.m. one night, and it just kind of turned into this. So it was just an organic response of the killing of George Floyd that happened in Minneapolis. So I was really distraught even a month prior because the video of Ahmed Aubrey came out. I'm a very emotional person, and I just saw that, and I was just distraught. I wasn't myself for uh, a few weeks, and that was Ramadan, so I turned to prayer, and prayer helped me for a bit. And then George Floyd happened, and it was really bad. And I was over at my cousin's house one night, and that's when Trump made the tweet saying that we have to just kind of do anything to suppress these protesters and such. And I was like, this is a problem happening in the U.S., which is the country just neighboring us. And we're, there's been no protests in Ottawa. And that was just astonishing to me. I was like, how is this happening? So I spent two nights looking if there was any protests happening in Ottawa and there was no talks of any. So I was just like, you know what, I have to do this. So I made an Instagram post saying that I was going to be at the U.S. Embassy just kind of to show solidarity to our brothers and sisters in the U.S. And yeah, I woke up the next morning uh, with about like a thousand, close to 2000 followers. That just proved to me how the Ottawa community really needed this. Um, we may not be in the U.S., but we we sympathize with them and we experience it on a different level, but it needed to be addressed in Canada. I had the support of my family at first, and then I made a post for volunteers and 
Ottawa is such a beautiful city. I had so many volunteers. The first day we made the cap at 140 volunteers and it was just, it was, it was so beautiful. Like I think it was about three hours and we already reached that cap. So hi, my name is Sophia Musse. I'm a graduate from Algonquin College with Law Clerk. Sameha is my sister-in-law. I had uh, seen that uh, she had created that Instagram and it was really, really difficult getting that image out of our head um, of what happened to George Floyd. So I just felt the need to also step in and help in any way that I could. It was <laughs> very difficult six days of uh, prepping for this protest. A lot of work went behind the scenes and uh, we had a great team. And like she mentioned, the volunteers really did play a huge part in this. I'm Jamie. I'm a third year medical student at the University of Ottawa. I also have a background in first aid training and, and lifeguarding. I got involved as the health and safety team lead for the protest. I signed up originally uh, as a volunteer and, and seeing the need uh, to lead health and safety, I decided to step up and bring a group of medical students and health professionals onto the field to help with the protest. The first thing was I need to have a route. And then after the route, I was like, we need masks, we need sanitizers, we need first aid because this isn't just a regular protest. Like this is a protest in the middle of COVID. First and foremost, I wanted to ensure everyone's safety because I live with my parents who are both diabetic. So I think one of the third or second posts was um, before I even asked for volunteers, I asked for donations. So I didn't ask for monetary funds because uh, this is a very difficult time financially for everyone. So I wanted to see if people and businesses would be able to donate face masks and sanitizers. So I made that post. And um, I, the innocence of this all, we honestly thought it was about to be like 50 people max. So we were, I was thinking about just taking my sedan and just driving around and picking this up. And it ended up being, um, I have a list here, 4,000 face masks, 2,000 sanitizers, 1,000 gloves, 10 to 15 first aid kits. Just to set, set the stage here, you know, you have an outdoor protest with over 8,000 participants any one of which could be infected with COVID and spread it to others. Uh, physical distancing obviously is, is very difficult to enforce in the outdoor setting. How we mitigated that risk in the protest was very important because we want people to be able to express their right to protest, but also to do it in a safe manner. And we had the health and safety of everyone involved and those that will be in contact with those that are going to be in the protest. So young activists that were going to come and protest, you know, they might see grandma and grandpa next weekend. And we have everyone's safety in mind when we organized how we designed, you know, delivering this health and safety during the protests. And it was unprecedented because there was not that much literature out there on how to do this in a safe manner. We had three tents at the three locations we would be at. So we had one across the parliament. So when individuals that were arriving could grab a mask before they walked onto uh, Parliament Hill. We were also pleased with the fact that a lot of people were taking it serious and were wearing masks when they arrived. We did continuously uh, mention that we want to uh, respect the uh, two meter distance between uh, every individual just to guarantee their safety. Um, it is a difficult time, of course, to be protesting and having such a large gathering. So I think collectively, the residents of Ottawa really respected that as much as possible. And of course, at times it was difficult to respect that because 
of the fact that we had 8,000 people attending. One of the biggest mitigating factors in terms of minimizing COVID transmission during the protest was the fact that it was outdoors. Although outbreaks do occur outdoors, I mean, the, the fact that it is uh, outdoors did decrease the chances and also mask wearing. So preventing the spread of droplets from one another. And we basically went with the assumption when I discussed with the team members is you have to assume everyone can be infected and anyone could be spreading these droplets. So you have to try to get a mask on every single person that you see. It was a very interesting setup and uh, the, the way we delivered it ensured that we can ensure COVID safety, but also the first aid safety because there are also first aid emergencies. You know, it's not just COVID at the protest. People were having heat exhaustions and were, you know, passing out at the protest and we had to respond to those calls. So it, it's, it's very interesting. You need to balance both. You know, you have to balance safety, COVID transmission, and also typical first aid that you need to deliver in large events. I think it was great seeing that whenever there was an emergency call, uh, all the participants were asked to take a knee so that we can see the individual that needed assistance and they were more visible to the first aid volunteers. And that way, Jamie and his crew were able to get to them. And it also showed solidarity of what happened to George Floyd, because as you know, the officer took the knee on his neck. So it was just, it was very symbolic. And I just found that beautiful because at random moments, you just see the whole crowd kneeling. I think it's important for me and um, also for the the Black community in Ottawa, also throughout Canada, because when you talk about racial injustice in Canada, most people do say it does not exist. To some people, racism only exists when you can blatantly see it. And I think from all the social media um, of sharing of videos, just like the one for that occurred with George Floyd that have been circulating, and coming out of the U.S., where police are killing unarmed Black men and women. It does happen a lot in the U.S., but I we also wanted to touch on the fact that uh, the reality is racial injustice is deeply rooted in Canada. So as a member of the Black community, that's our reality every single day. Uh, so to those who say, why fight about it right now, or why stand up and hold a march, I say that Black people have literally been saying the same thing for generations. There is a desperation to be heard, and that's what's changing. But nothing that we're saying is new. There is racism in Canada. And this Saturday, my family and I went to, and a lot of other members from No Peace Until Justice, went to a march in solidarity of Abdurrahman Abdi. 37-year-old Ottawa citizen who was brutally beaten by Ottawa police outside of his building. And there were videos taken of that, but it it hasn't reached the magnitude of George Floyd or, or many other American names that we know who have died uh, due to police brutality because a lot of people suppress that. And they say there's no racism in Canada and there's no racism in Canada, but there is. And I can list you a name of individuals who have died in the hands of police, but um, I, I, I experience racial microaggression every day where people meet me and five minutes into the conversation, they ask me, they're like, oh, you're so articulate. Where are you from? And would you say that to another Caucasian? Probably not. Um, why does my intelligence surprise you? And I can't even count the amount of times that I've had comments like that. And 
a lot of individuals don't know that's that's a racist comment to make. And, and that's why I'm very glad to have this platform now to educate individuals because I, there are a lot of individuals who have a, like have privilege, but they don't know what to do with that privilege. There is racism in Canada and hopefully we can help um, bring it to light. And that's what we're trying to do. It was very difficult because I was like, is this right? Is this not right? And a lot of concerns came about online stating that um, it was very negligent to be doing something like this, especially at this magnitude. But then my team and I remembered that racism is, is a health issue as well. It still proceeds during coronavirus. So why don't I just speak up about it? Yeah. So just to reiterate, this did happen in six days. And I think three out of those six days, so 50% of the time was dedicated to just addressing all of those concerns brought up to community members. And it's not something that I could have just brushed away because I'm advocating the voices of the Ottawa community. So I have to also listen to them. We're very new. I was one person in my bedroom at 3 a.m. And I get it. There's a lot of skepticism surrounding me and my intentions and and all of that. But And a lot of individuals were saying, oh, well, there's not a lot of ties with the community. And everyone can start somewhere in their life. And this is my start. And just because I'm starting now doesn't mean I don't have the good intentions and doesn't mean I'm not working with community members. So with what I have now, the main concern for me is just before we even talk to government officials, I really want to hear the voice of the nation, the the Black community all around Canada, because I'm just used to Canadian, like um, Ottawa Black voices, but I want to hear the Black voices of Vancouver and the Black voices of Nova Scotia and the Black voices of Montreal and the Black voices in Toronto. So right now we're in the works of just creating that like a national wide conversation to just hear the experiences because the experience of a young Black woman in BC is very different from a young Black male in, you know, like uh, Toronto or other parts of Ontario. So I just want to make myself aware of the voices that I'm advocating for. It's just not one voice. It's not just my voice and my perspective. It's its the perspective of all of Canada. So I think that's the next step that we're going to take. Towards the end, I think there was a lot of emotion that was going through the crowd. Um, and I think with the amount of people that were in attendance, uh, we were extremely, extremely overwhelmed with the amount of people who participated that day. And uh, just seeing all the different signs. Moving forward, I think it's important that all those that are privileged are able to educate themselves more and have conversations within their households and with their friends in ways they can support to combat racism. The city was alive that day after months of being quiet and uh, it was beautiful to see everyone out on the street supporting a cause. In terms of the protests, I think it's going to be used as a good example of how other protests should be organized and and executed, especially during a pandemic. I mean, we're three weeks out from the protest. You know, we instructed all our team members to get tested. We all tested negative and we, we were monitoring COVID rates and it, it did not go up. If anything, in Ottawa, it's at the lowest right now, even after this protest, which was the largest gathering that that had ever occurred since COVID uh, started. And, uh, you know, it's not just the two weeks following the protest. Like I said, we're monitoring past that because, you know, those people 
they may not show symptoms and then they may spread it to others. But now three weeks out, we saw that, you know, the, the COVID infection rate has been really low. And I think that's a testament to how well the protest was organized and how much we were to be, we were able to mitigate on scene, mask wearing, instructions set out, you know, before and after the protest, uh, answering the concerns of those that thought, you know, that COVID rates would spike and that there would be many infections from this. And, you know, I think we proved them wrong. You can protest and support a really important cause and make it safe during a pandemic. Like, I'm just shaking my head. I don't think it's, uh, it took a lot of days for it to really sink in. Um, I was with Jamie immediately after the protest ended and and we were in a car just blasting music and and then I came home and I was with Sophia and that's when I was like, we didn't do that. Like I just kept on asking Sophia and my family like, did we really do that? And I think the slogan for the whole weekend was we did that. It was just beautiful. Honestly, it was a beautiful experience. I don't know. It was just a success in every way that it could have been a success. So it was a very proud moment for for the Ottawa community. Thank you. And I can't stress that enough. Thank you for everyone who physically came out. Thank you, everyone who's donated supplies. Thank you for everyone who's posted and and retweeted. If it wasn't for you, this wouldn't have happened. And I can't stress that enough. Thank you so much. Thank you to Samiha, Safia, and Jamie for their dedication and hard work You showed us how we can all step up to challenge racism and support black lives. To learn more about No Peace Until Justice, visit their website at www.nopeaceuntiljustice.com. Follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at No Peace Until Justice Ottawa. Thanks for listening to Notes from the Frontline. We have more stories from nurses, doctors, and volunteers coming up on this season of the podcast but we're always looking for more. If you or someone you know has a powerful story about or related to a frontline worker, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Kimberly Hockeyman, Adrian Mohajarin, and Allison Bruff. Once again, I'm Jordan Johnson-Hines. Notes from the Frontline is brought to you by Entertainment One with the support of Global TV, the cast of the TV show Nurses, and ICF Films. If you're in Canada, stream season one of Nurses now on the Global TV app. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.